Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of the Ahmed Khan podcast. Here we hope to convene conversations related to religion, politics, history, psychology, and any topic that you're interested in. Today, I believe we're going to have a wonderful discussion, inshallah, on the topic of mental health. And joining us today is we have Sister Hiba Al-Haddad, who has received her undergraduate degree from UC Irvine in, the psycho in psychology of social science. Um, she has also earned a master's degree in clinical psychology, and she's currently pursuing her doctorate degree in clinical psychology with California Southern University. And her PhD focuses on the role that postmodernism has on modern clinical psychology, which will be of interest and will be brought up in today's discussion, inshallah. And lastly, Sister Hiba is an affiliate of the Stanford Muslim Mental Health Lab, which focuses on providing resources for clinicians, researchers, and community leaders that are working with the Muslim population. And if you remember earlier, we had Dr. Rania Awad on our podcast um, and so Sister Hiba works uh, with Dr. Anya. So thank you for joining us, Sister Hiba. Thank you so much, Ahmed, for having me. So let's get straight into it. So yeah. the topic of mental health is perhaps one of the most prominent topics in today's discourse, um, particularly with university students. It seems like every day someone that we know is having a mental health breakdown. Someone is having you know, an, an anxiety disorder. So I think just you know, at the foundation, are, is there is there anything that you'd like for us to uh, discuss right at the onset before we even get into, you know, the nits and gritty of this, this topic of mental health? Well, I think the, the driving force for, um, you know, the new morbidity being a stress among youth, and we often hear this from adults, what do they have to be stressed about, right? Everything mm -hmm. is yeah. kind of provided for them. Um, we're the ones who are working and providing and all they have to do is study and socialize and focus on themselves and their own growth. But I think, um, you know, due to shifting from a modern to a postmodern era, right, there's a lot that's associated with that. And I think a big part of that change that happened was the big impact that it took on on or that it had on families right hmm. and so one of the biggest impacts that i have seen and that i've also researched and read about is moving from or shifting from togetherness to autonomy right so in if you could say the modern era a big part of the focus was on sacrifice you know uh, self-exertion, you know, keeping the family together. And, you know, even if you're very dissatisfied within your marriage, you had an understanding and it was your driving values and principles that mm. no matter what, we keep the family together, right, for the sake mm. of the children. And, and that was the understanding. That was the agreement um, in the majority of marriages, right, especially speaking from our cultures. Yeah. That, is the, that is the lens that I'm really um, looking through, you know, for this conversation, um, because it, you know, just, just creating an awareness about the changes that have happened and they're not very recent changes. I mean, I think they've been underway for some time, but we're really seeing the impacts of those changes now. Now, what that also means is that, you know, the modern era, I think the family was centered around the needs of the children, 
and mm. it really protected and provided security for the children. So even if the children didn't have as much autonomy, they still had a lot of security and stability, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because no matter what, mom and dad will stay together, right? Even if they're even if they fight all the time, even if the children are witnessing that the discord and tension between the parents, they they had at the end of the day this this reliance upon the fact that mom and dad will stay together, and we still have what appears to be a stable family to society. Mm -hmm. exactly. Now today that has greatly shifted, right now we have the shift that's become more towards parent-centered and not as much child-centered, mm -hmm. right? And you also see the child becoming almost an equal to the parent. Now, this existed in the modern era amongst more, uh, more so amongst like lower income families in which the children had to work alongside the parents and they provided and contributed um, to the family financially. But it's now more commonplace in many families, right? Whether they're low income, um, you know, uh, families who are more affluent and you see it across the board. And so also not just in the sense of financial contribution. Now you mm -hmm. have the drive for communication and vulnerability and openness and flexibility, right? Mm -hmm. And this is associated a lot with postmodernism in the so sense do you, do you that, mind do you mind explaining yeah. what postmodernism is mr hiba yeah absolutely so postmodernism is entering like a new intellectual era and it's it's mainly associated with um if we have keywords with openness unpredictability uncertainty flexibility or fluidity right um in which it you know, the the uh, vanguard for postmodernism are names like uh, Foucault and um, Lyotard and Stanley Fish and these thinkers, right, who are some of them being uh, French origin, um, you know, and their their thoughts were really, you know, and, and to, to just quote uh, some of them, like Foucault says, reason is the ultimate language of madness. And there is nothing to guide our thoughts and feelings. Wow. Right? There's nothing. There's nothing to guide our thoughts and feelings, which goes against the very essence of our faith. Right? Stanley Fish goes on to say, um, and he says this very happily, right? He says, deconstruction relieves me of the obligation to be right and demands that I only be interesting. Mm -hmm. Right? So this is... This is the heart of postmodernism. We're removing now reason. We're removing truth, right? And we're removing like all the things that we previously would anchor our beliefs upon. Mm -hmm. All the things, all the anchors, which I, this is what I really believe postmodernism does. It enters the scene and then it just removes and dismantles all of the anchors that you previously would lean upon and would find security and stability in, such as mm -hmm. right, uh, your gender, right? You were born not really questioning whether you were a man or whether I'm a woman. That was something that was just, you know, understood. Mm -hmm. Now it's become this fluid construct, right? And you get to decide based on how you feel if you want to be male or female. Another area that's huge is uh, religion, 
right? Religion provides way too many constraints and you don't have as much flexibility and um, it really um, dominates, right? And anything that's dominant, this is why postmodernism came about because it was about, you know, the dominant discourses that, that fed into oppression and authority and power um, it's really eradicating all of that. So I also believe that postmodernism was born from a great place of pain for people. Mm. So all of those who were oppressed and wronged and, um, you know, not given rights um, or, or things were not, you know, fulfilled for them. Um, it came about as a result of that, you know. To, but you think it was like an extreme. You think it was like a, it was an extreme, though. So where we're at right now is the pendulum is swung to the complete opposite side. So mm -hmm. prior, prior in the modern era, we're talking about like the 19th century to like the mid um, 20th century, right? 1968 or so. And then postmodernism kind of, that was the birth of postmodernism after that period. And I would definitely say that now we're really feeling the extremeness of the pendulum kind of swinging in the opposite direction. Um, okay. And also it's about the flow of ideas. So you remove power from, uh, 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 an, you know, religion or from authority figures or, you know, from anything that you previously looked as looked at as powerful. And now everybody has power. Everybody has a right to, state their opinions everybody has a right to have a platform and that can be a positive and a not so positive thing mm -hmm. right so before it was only certain individuals that had a platform and they were viewed as the learned you know the ulama for example um or or leaders you know within societies were the ones who really had a platform and those are the only ones that you really heard from or if you were an author we would have you know, um, a window into your thoughts uh, and your ideas and your philosophies, right? Mm -hmm. But now it's, you look everywhere and everyone through through the advent of technology and social media, et cetera, now everyone has access and now everyone has a platform. Mm. And, and so you have what comes with that also, Sister Hiba, is that everybody now feels like they have legitimacy and authority to speak on topics. So you have people who've amassed a large following um, now speaking on political matters who have no education at all. It's just because it's the zeitgeist. It's a cool thing to speak about. So now mm -hmm. I'm just going to use my platform. And after reading one or two Al Jazeera articles, I know exactly what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's you described it so accurately. And I think it also removes an element of like knowing a big part of our faith is marifa and ta'aruf and, you know, um, coming to know one another. And I think through um, the rapid pace of social media and technology and the age of like instant gratification, and I have to have things now, and you actually become frustrated when, you know, things require patience and, and you know, prolonged effort. Um, now it's, it's very hard for people to exercise patience. Mm -hmm. It's a very difficult thing. And patience builds character. 
So when you remove patience and things become instant, you know, it really feeds that aspect of the nafs and that grows and then it starts to consume you and then it starts to become the driver. It becomes, it now moves from, from the backseat into the driver's seat and it begins to, to drive you in a sense. So I think part of knowing is, you know, before we used to have a hierarchy, Right. And what postmodernism does is it came and removed that hierarchy. And now there's a leveling out, there's uniformity. And now everyone is equal. It's and all you about, know, you know, you know, sister, but there was this tweet that went viral where somebody, it was, it was a professor who tweeted that um, children should be on the same footing as parents. And if not, that's, that's oppression. And children should have, every, and she was referring to like babies. Children should have every right to decide what goes on in the house just as much as the father or mother does. And for me, when, when I was reading that, it really revealed to me, you know, real crises that we're in, you know, the complete destruction of all hierarchy. So what role does this play, the destruction of hierarchy in, you know, an average university student's mind? And how does that lead to like something related to like a mental health crisis? You know, there are things in in the mind of, for example, a college student, the age of college students. Um, and I'm just speaking generally from, let's say like the age of 19 to 26, right? Um, there's a part of the brain that is related, you know, uh, to judgment and discernment and, um, taking your time and making decisions and refining your decision-making skills. And that part of the brain is, is known as the prefrontal cortex. Now, by the time the prefrontal cortex fully develops, you're 25 or so. Okay. So, you know, if we talk about the average age of a college student, let's say 20, 21, you know, perhaps younger, the mind is not fully developed. And so, Therefore, you're exposed to such a like a wide or a vast amount of ideas and philosophies. And the problem, I think, with our time, especially within, um, you know, Muslim societies today, is that we tend to look at, you know, Islam through Western norms and values and see how we can somehow how do they fit in? How does Islamic, how does the, the Islamic norms and values fit into the Western mm-hmm. context? And we have it all upside down. It's actually supposed to be the opposite. Right? Way, yeah. Where the lens of our Islamic um, values and norms and principles and look through them to see the, the Western, you know, values and, and norms and to see what I should discard and what I should retain right? For the sake of my spiritual well-being. And this Mm -hmm. is why we have so much uh, upheaval because, you know, as a college student, you're being bombarded left, right, and center with all of these different philosophies and ideas. And they're very gratifying for the ego. Mm -hmm. And especially if you grew up, you know, with parents from the modern era, who are very centered on keeping the family together. And no matter what happens within the family, even if it's highly traumatic, right, we stay together, we stick together. And exactly. now, now it's like falling apart, right? Because you have all these narratives, right? Or meta narratives that 
speak to your ego and speak to your pain that you've been carrying for so long. And our faith provides a channel through which you cope, right? And through which you channel that pain because the pain has to have lanes through which it mm -hmm. travels. Now, what postmodernism does, it comes and removes those lanes. You know, on the road, as you're driving on the freeway, if you remove all the lanes, what would happen? Chaos. Chaos, right? And this is exactly what we're facing today is chaos. Mm. And that's what is associated with postmodernism and this fluidity and flexibility. And yes, while it's good in some ways, we can't deny that it, you know, um, certain traumas require healing and they require addressing and certain problems within families require addressing, right? And require therapy and require support from a spiritual mentor and teacher, right? But in general, I'm speaking in generalities, it can be highly problematic because we're seeing even adults, full-blown adults, like in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, who are, you know, sort of succumbing to the narratives within postmodernism and saying, well, I don't, you know, I, I, I just need to do what makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And I need to just do, do me, be who I am, be who I'm, I'm meant to be. And that's, again, within context, it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But the way that the extreme to which it's being taken, I think is, is what's causing a lot of the upheaval that we're seeing today in our, in our societies. And, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting, uh, Sister Hiba, um, in preparation for this podcast, I was reading this paper titled Postmodernity and Mental Illness, a Comparative Analysis of Selective Theorists, which I think you've probably read. Um, yeah, sounds and familiar. Of, <laughs> <laughs> um, and one, one of the points the author wrote in the introduction is he said that additionally, society is moving away from collectivism towards a greater individualism with a devastating influence on family unity and married couples. The current period is also characterized by the rise of mental illness in society. Mm -hmm. And there's another, there's another quote from the paper which states, uh, the analysis of this paper revealed that the period of postmodernity is characterized by chaos, confusion, and unpredictability, which are associated with the rise of mental illness. And so I think everything that you're saying really aligns to what the research is pointing towards that postmodernity with its values of, um, you know, its, its version of equality, um, its, its ideas which lead to chaos are really having an effect um, in, the, in the realm of mental illness. Definitely. And that's exactly, <clears throat> that's exactly what we're seeing today, right? Is the unprecedented rates of anxiety. I think anxiety has become one of the top, um, you know, disorders that are diagnosed amongst youth and teenagers um, and, and young adults. And I think the reason for that being also, if we look at the, the, the sphere of employment, for example, yes. and how postmodernity impacts that, right? So prior um, in the modern area, era, it was how it really, you know, played out was that you would have a job that was eight to five or nine to five. And then you would go home and spend time with your family. <clears throat> and there wasn't this working around the clock concept. And also it wasn't there. There wasn't this idea of contractual um, work in which you can kind of 
bounce around from one company to another to gain experience and diversify your skill set and uh, build competence and, and, and trainings. And that's very much how the work and employment, um, the workforce looks like today. You know, many, many individuals have part time positions, contract positions. Um, and while it's very fulfilling in the sense of, again, diversifying your skill set and making you um, a lot more versatile as, as an employee, it also has the side effect of um, insecurity and instability because you don't know, you know, mm -hmm. how long this, this contract is actually going to, you know, carry out for. And then I see a lot of individuals who have anxiety as a result of that because freedom, okay. is like, freedom is highly cher cher cherished in, in postmodernism, right? So having that, you know, freedom to choose comes with a cost and the trade-off is security. And so mm -hmm. when the trade-off is security, in enters anxiety and in enters depression and in enters suicidality. And again, we're removing all the things that previously used to anchor you. Hmm. Another example that I confront a lot is um, teenagers who claim that their parents are toxic, right? So just going back to the impacts on family and very vital relationships that you have in your life, right? That we are taught as, as Muslims that we have to maintain those relationships. Now, of course, you know, this is not factoring in uh, very abusive relationships and very harmful relationships. But I'm talking about, you know, miscommunication and, you know, gaps uh, in our relationships and misunderstandings and, you know, the teenager or, or the child feeling like they don't have a voice. They're never consulted on anything that concerns them. Um, so they have a right also to make decisions with the family and with the guidance um, of their loved ones. But so, it, so it's about finding a balance that works. And again, looking from the lens of our faith and not from the lens of Western norms um, and trying to reconcile, right, our faith with the Western norms. That's not what's supposed to happen. And so, you know, it's that bombardment, I think, is really leading to higher suicidality and the depression and the anxiety and again, you know, the prescription um, benzodiazepines and antidepressants and all, you know, different, you know, categories of drugs that are prescribed. Um, and so it takes you into a whole other realm, again, of mental illness. And then what drives that understanding what drives that I think is is key for us um, mm -hmm. living in the West today. And so, you know, because our audience is primarily people between the age of 20 to 34, um, many of them university students. One of the things you mentioned, which I thought was brilliant, was this idea of uncertainty, um, yeah. which kind of plagues our generation. And throughout you know, my conversations with many of my peers, I can see that, including myself, uncertainty is something which is big, right? Um, mm -hmm. The idea that a bachelor's degree, degree is not going to get you a job is something which is widely accepted within our generation. And it's almost like, okay, I'll have to do graduate school or I'll have to do a business. I'll have to do something else. Um, I have all these student loans I need to pay. And ultimately that uncertainty really brings anxiety to many people because the future is uncertain. Um, 
So it, it's a big issue. The way I personally deal with it is I, um, and this is, this is probably unorthodox, but I just, I really believe that Allah will take care of me as long as I, you know, as long as I have that trust in Allah, as long as I'm out there doing my work at the end of the day, you know, God has my back. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what keeps me grain, uh, grounded, but that's what my faith is. But, you know, if you, if you remove faith from me um, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, and I'm embodying these values of postmodernism, I'm not sure what I would tell myself just to keep myself grounded. Exactly. And these are the timeless universals that you're describing in our faith that we know we have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So no matter what happens, I have my Lord and I have my prayer and I have my dhikr and I have my means, right, through which I can connect to my creator who will take care of me. Mm-hmm. But with, you know, postmodernism entering or being a part of the equation now, um, which we have to consider because the impact of it, you know, it has it has residual effects everywhere now, right? So it's unavoidable. And what happens is it takes you from a place of like ideals and, you know, um, standards and timeless universals to subjectivity. So it removes all objectivity, all timeless universals, and it says none of those are true. Um, and then there's the question of truth, your truth versus my truth, hmm. right? And so, and, I, and I, I, I believe it's like the wrong terminology to use. It's not your truth versus my truth. It's, it's my experience, truth. my experience versus your experience. Hmm. Okay. That's all that it really is. That's in essence what you're describing. So let's say we both met someone. We both had a teacher. We both okay. shared a teacher, right, at different points in time. And you're sharing with me your experience with the teacher. And you're saying that was my truth, right? This t- this teacher didn't make time for me. They were always late. They didn't really invest in me. And they didn't model good character and, and behavior, et cetera, et cetera. And I come and I say, but that wasn't really my experience with the teacher, right? The mm-hmm. teacher was very forbearing and they were very um, giving of, their, of themselves and their time and their knowledge. And, you know, I really think so highly of them and I would love to have them again as a teacher in the future. Now, what we're describing and what postmodernism posits is that that's my truth and that's your truth. And I can't tell you, I can't speak out and say, hey, Ahmed, maybe that's not really how he is or how she is, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you just caught them at a bad time in their lives or maybe they were just not having a good day or maybe they were just really struggling with something and they couldn't give you as much as they normally would. Mm -hmm. Um, There were other factors and we know in our faith, we also have to give so many excuses. Mm -hmm. That's another like, you know. I think think you need to say that one more time. Say it one more time so that people get it. We have to give others 70 excuses whenever we're in doubt or whenever we feel wronged by someone or whenever. And I'm not talking again about, please don't misunderstand. I'm not speaking about abusive, uh, you know, cases, cases that involve abuse. But I'm just speaking about general interactions, normal day-to-day interactions. You know, it's, it's, it's described this way so that you feel so, uh, you come to a point where you feel so violated, it riles you up. It riles up. It really plays on people's emotions. And if I say my truth and you say your truth, then I kind of take a step back and say, well, I can't tell him 
what his truth should be like. Mm-hmm. I can't tell him what to believe because it's such strong language, right? Exactly. But if you say that that's my experience as, as a Muslim, you know, I remind you of Allah and I remind you of forgiveness and I remind you, hey, maybe that wasn't, that's not their reality. That's not who they actually are. And we give them excuses and we forgive one another. And I was really, you know, thinking about thinking back to the Prophet's time, for example, if we think of the story of Haditha al-Ifq, right, with Sayyidah Aisha, right? And what happened in regards to Abu Bakr and, and how he used to provide for Mustah, right? And Mustah was one of the people who was spreading the rumors about Sayyidah Aisha, right? And when Abu Bakr found out, he immediately, you know, cut off providing for him financially. And then the revelation came, the ayah came, in which, you know, he sought repentance because the ayah revealed that he should not, you know, Mm -hmm. cut off his financial support, even though he was wronged by this person, even though this person harmed his family and harmed his daughter's reputation, right? Mm -hmm. And contributed to those rumors spreading further. And so... If you were to bring that into, you know, opposed with, you know, into a, a circle of postmodernists, for example, it, the, the popular opinion would be, no, you absolutely do not continue providing for someone who has wronged your family. Mm-hmm. You immediately cut that person off. He's toxic. He's harmful. He's, and then all the labels start coming out, right? And so, mm-hmm. again, again, yeah. we're too... I, I actually believe the more intolerant you are, the more labels you you have. Yeah. Right. And and that's the sad reality is because I'm so outward focused. It's it's so other centered, you know, and it's not I'm not focused on myself and my own flaws and my own shortcomings. I'm constantly looking to blame someone for something for my pain, hmm. rather than taking accountability. And I think postmodernism also. Um, completely eliminates accountability, right? We don't mm-hmm. hold ourselves accountable. We don't. And, you know, one of the, one of the beautiful ayats, I think in, in the story of Adam, alayhi salam, it's, it's so beautiful mm-hmm. because, you know, we see what happens with shaitan and Adam, alayhi salam. But the beautiful thing is when Adam, alayhi salam, makes the dua of repentance, mm-hmm. he says that he, he puts the blame on himself, not on Iblis. And I think I heard Sheikh Hamza once say that, you know, we should always be looking to blame ourselves rather than others. And there's a, every time you're pointing a finger at somebody, there's three fingers pointing back at you. And I think it's in terms of one's mental health, if you're always out there blaming others, it's a very unhealthy state to be in because it shows that that person is not willing to take themselves to account, to hold themselves accountable for their own shortcomings or, or, or their own mistakes. And in turn, they just end up blaming others. But that has an effect on the person's heart. Yeah, not just that. You mentioned excellent points. And just to add on to that, what happens is you enter now into a victim's mentality or a victim victimhood mindset. And what happens with that is it quickly spirals downwards. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no way up. It's only down. Right. Mm -hmm. Because what's happening internally is I'm aligning with the weakest aspects of myself. Right. And when I'm looking outwards and blaming others, that is outside of my sphere of control. Mm -hmm. I actually cannot 
change other people's behaviors. I can't make people do what I want them to do. I can't make people show up for me the way I want them to show up for me. I can't make my parents be the incredible parents that I envisioned in my mind having. Mm-hmm. So you become so dissatisfied with everyone and everything. And you can easily see where that leads you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't lead you to a station of like contentment and um, rida, you know, with, with qada in that, with Allah's decree for you in your life. Because it makes you think about why can't I have this? Why didn't I, yeah, you know, have yeah. that? Why weren't they this way with me? Why didn't they take care of me that way? Why didn't they provide for me the way that I need it? Why didn't, why weren't they emotionally available for me? Mm. And then it becomes a question of why, why not? Right. And so that's the problem is that, you know, being in, in, in the victim mindset, which the Prophet never, never kind of, um, he never had a victim mindset. He always held himself accountable and he always thought of himself and he was preoccupied, of course, with the state of his ummah and then teaching these timeless values and principles that, alhamdulillah, are still carrying a lot of people, you know, through Mm -hmm. till today. But a lot of people are losing their anchors, you know, as each Mm -hmm. day passes. And if you think about it, it's like, what is the most stable thing for us, right? And that is the ground that we stand on. Mm-hmm. And so what postmodernism is, is likened to is an earthquake. So when an earthquake happens, we feel so destabilized because we feel like the most secure thing that we actually stand, you know, stand on and that supports us is, is no longer stable. So now mm-hmm. enters like un- unpredictability and instability and chaos and confusion and all of these things that are associated with postmodernism. And it really, it, I think it really takes a toll on people mentally. Um, mm-hmm. And you're constantly not seeing self as part of the equation. Um, and so it completely blinds you to yourself and to what I did to contribute to make someone behave that way with me. Exactly. And you, Maybe you know, I did something. Exactly. And on this... Um... On the topic of victimhood, I think there's a beautiful story in the seerah when the Prophet ﷺ is going to the city of Ta'if and he's trying to convey his message and the people surround themselves, the women, the children, the men, the slaves, they begin stoning him until he's bleeding from his blessed head till his fingers, until his legs, until he's driven out of the city. And when he's sitting there, the angel arrives to him and says, you know, should I smash these two mountains apart? And he says, no, and he, he prays for their guidance. Um, the option, the Prophet could have taken the option of victimhood, Absolutely. right? As most of us do today, always. But instead, he took the prophetic way, which was forgiveness, which was like you mentioned, you know, praying for people. And this is something I think we constantly find throughout the seerah is that when harm afflicted him, he was always praying for the people. Um, and so do you mind just, just commenting on something like that? Absolutely. I think there's a lot of power in healing and forgiveness. And this is why we have lost the element of being able to fully heal. <laughs> because we have lost 
touch with this, um, you know, this beautiful uh, concept of forgiveness and being able to, you know, avoid having a hardened heart that we're often, you know, warned against um, through the hadith and through the Quran, right? And so it's understanding that when I forgive also, I'm not forgiving for the sake of the other person. Hmm. You're not you're not forgiving for the well-being of the other person. But you are your own obstacle when you refuse to forgive and and look the other way, right? And I love the quote by Imam al-Ghazali when he says, you know, um, oh my eye, all men have eyes. Right? So just like other people can commit wrongs against you. Don't think that you never commit wrongs against other people because everyone does. And perhaps if, if you have a good heart, inshallah, and it's a pure heart, then it's unintentional. It was never intentional. You never meant to harm other people, right? So whether you slipped and said something or whether uh, you did something physical or whether you didn't give someone their rights um, or you didn't fulfill your duty towards them, then you would hope that the other person can forgive you. Hmm. But I also think we have we have kind of um, lapsed into apathy where people have stopped caring, genuinely and sincerely caring about one another. And I think because, you know, living in this chaos and confusion um, consistently erodes that. It erodes that the ability to be empathetic and to have true empathy for people, right? Because you're constantly behind a screen. And so it's very easy for me to, to um, remember that you're a human being that's behind that screen. And mm-hmm. my words will have great power over you, right? And they will be remembered years or maybe decades later, mm-hmm. right? It can be very destructive. Mm. So being, you know, filtering what I say and being very cautious um, with the hearts of other people. And just the same way that people can wrong me, everyone is capable of wronging others. So mm. it's it's remembering that if someone sees the flaw in me, all men have eyes. Mm. Exactly. I can see the flaws of other people. Why do I not think that they can see the flaws in me? Mm-hmm. So how would I want to be treated if people see a wrong in you? You would want mm-hmm. them to embody rahma and forgiveness and compassion and all of these things, all these beautiful attributes, right? Um, because we know that, you know, you know, like Dr. Asim Yusuf says, he says that, you know, we are a locus of divine attributes and they all are, are reside within the heart. And so mm-hmm. when you're in, in, in a relationship with someone, the beauty is, or, or the goal is, right, is for all of those divine attributes to show, like love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and forbearance and all of these things that you would hope your loved ones would have with you. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens is that through societal influences and, and, and other, you know, plethora of factors that, that come into play, that becomes distorted, the divine attributes become distorted. So instead of, you know, being giving, right, you start to embody and mana, like you deprive people and you become like a barrier or an obstruction mm-hmm. in the path of other people, right? And so all of the divine 
beautiful qualities and attributes become completely distorted. Mm. And that's when we know the heart is diseased. And this is where self-accountability comes in. I have to mm. be able to be honest with myself. Mm. And being honest with yourself is immensely difficult for people. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful point that you mentioned. Uh, just just this week, um, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf did an interview with uh, the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, and he brought up an excellent point. He said that in our community, too often we think like engineers, where we think of problem and solution. Mm-hmm. He says, but the way we should be looking at it, the Quranic way of looking at these things is as if they're diseases, because diseases take time to cure. And so when people are trying to better themselves, when people are trying to inculcate a sense of empathy within themselves, when people are trying to learn how to forgive, it's not a one night solution. It's not a listen to one podcast and now everything's all good. But mm-hmm. rather it's like it's a that jihad. It's a struggle that one person has to go through over and over again. And sometimes, you know, Sister Hiba, I'm put in position. I like to think sometimes I'm a forgivable person. But sometimes there's a person, sometimes someone will do something to me and I'm like, I, I don't know if I can forgive them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then when I go to sleep, I'm left with a tough challenge because we have the hadith that the man went to paradise because when he went to sleep, he would forgive everybody, right? And he would ask for forgiveness for anybody that wronged him, uh, that he wronged. And so as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, look, you know, just put your ego to the side because your ego is really the one responsible for all of these problems. And just from the bottom of your heart, really try to forgive that person. And um, when I'm able to do that, it makes myself feel so relieved because, you know, Sister Hiba, sometimes we get into a, a conflict with somebody and we walk away. And for the rest of the day or, you know, until the next time, until the situation's resolved, we just feel something in our heart. I'm, I'm not sure how to explain it, but like, you, when you have attention with someone, you're just angry at everybody. And yeah. I think in, in this culture, when we're always looking at, try, at, at cutting off people, when we're trying to cut people out of our lives, we think that if we cut someone out immediately, we'll feel good. But I feel like it has the reverse effect and it, it plays, it has an effect on our conscious. Because the way that our, our mind is designed is um, it's very easy for us to dwell in the past on what once was. So rather than, and this, and this is what I think um, secular therapy does a lot, um, and I'm not saying it's intentional, but what I've seen happen is when the practitioner is not aligned with Islamic values and principles, right? What happens is they'll encourage you to cut off everything that causes you pain. Mm, okay. Without understanding that all relationships entail pain. <laughs> <laughs> What relationship does not involve any kind of pain? Yeah, none. That, that's sort of saying that I'm eliminating every human being that exists in my life, hmm. which doesn't make any sense. And that's the perfect recipe for isolation, loneliness. And this concept of boundaries, which is huge, right? And um, boundaries are very important. But I think when we put up walls that are too high, right? And again, that's the pendulum swinging the other extreme. And it hasn't found a balance of how to balance this out. Then what happens is you find yourself alone. 
Mm, and just okay. living with you and your nephs, right? And it, again, it's this, this concept of, you know, everybody that I let in and everybody that I trusted, they proved that they couldn't be trusted and they betrayed mm. me and they hurt me. And so because they hurt me, they no longer deserve to be a part of my life. Mm. And so now they're on the outside and I'm never letting them in again. But you're going to end up losing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that actually love and care for you, not all of them, right? And, and of course, every situation is different. But you're going to lose a lot of people that very genuinely and deeply love you. Mm-hmm. But they're also human. And they have flaws. And they need your forbearance and they need your understanding and they need your compassion. Just like you need their compassion because you're going to wrong them unintentionally and you're going to hurt them at times. And you're not always going to be available when they need you, mm-hmm. right? But it's, it's <clears throat> this is understanding that I know you would want to be there for me if you could. And I know that you would want to a lot time to spend with me if you could. But it's having maturity and emotional maturity is very often lacking. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what, you know, psycho-spiritual uh, counseling helps or should help a lot of people do is become more resilient and become more emotionally mature so that you start to see people through mature eyes and through an awareness of your own flaws and shortcomings. Mm. And I think the more you're able to see your own self in a truthful way, in a very human way, in a very raw way, which is painful sometimes, right? Um, Because you just don't want to see that. Mm -hmm. You want to have you want to you want to live in delusion thinking that I'm not like that and I would never do that to somebody. I would never hurt somebody that way. Mm-hmm. I would never be that person. But never say never because Allah will show you that, you know, mm-hmm. your overconfidence is unhealthy and it's sort of a form of like kibr and thinking that I'm above others and I would never do such a thing. Right? Mm-hmm. And no one is safe. No one is safe. And I think the only thing that you know we can do is be in touch with our humility and our humanness and understanding that you know part of relationships involves pain and part of relationships involves making mistakes and i will falter hmm. and i expect i i enter this relationship especially friendships and marriages because those are relationships that you get to choose for yourself hmm. right? Um, as opposed to family, you're born into a family and you don't really get to choose who your parents and siblings are. Um, so you learn to cope and manage and navigate and maneuver through those different relationships. But I think in terms of like friendships and marriages, it's having emotional maturity is entering the relationship and saying, I expect these loved ones to hurt me at some point. But the difference between a loved one and a stranger is that they know me they care about me, and they would never intentionally want to hurt me. And mm-hmm. once you have that understanding, it, it's it's a lot, you know, more smoother sailing because mm-hmm. forgiveness is much more, you know, ample in supply, and you're mm-hmm. much more able to forgive other people because you're also aware of how you can easily hurt other people if it wasn't for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protecting you or, you know, um, Allah really guiding you 
um, that, you know, whatever is done to me, I could easily do to other people. And it's interesting because when somebody, you know, has it within their mind, the idea that um, people will let you down. Um, I think one of the positives with that outlook is that you begin to realize that people are not perfect, especially one's spouse or one's friends or one's family. Because if you think somebody's perfect and they let you down, you're shocked. But if you know it's going to happen somewhere down the line and it happens, you're like, I, I saw this coming. It was bound to happen. And it's normal, right? It's, it's something that happens in all relationships. And um, just from my personal experience, I've seen that when people, you know, when people are so focused on cutting off all the toxic, yeah, I, I don't like using the word toxic, um, but, when, but for the sake of conversation, when people want to remove all of the toxicity in one's life, ultimately what, they, what you find is that people can count the number of friends, close people in their life on their hands. Um, and I think even with those people, um, there is an understanding that even they might, you know, even they, I'm not sure how much I can even trust them. So it's something, you know, during my time in the MSA, during university, um, even when I, when, I, when I got back here as well for the break, um, you know, an hour after landing, uh, I had to deal with something like this. And it's something that just personally in my life, cutting off people was something I just knew sister here, but whenever I got into a fight, it would bother me a lot. And I'm yeah. like, if I can just forgive the, because whether it's in a group chat or whether it's in person, I know that the next time I see this person, you know, we're going to have some tensions. Yeah. And I always hated that. And I always, I was like, okay, maybe I'll avoid this meeting because I'll see this person here. And now it was affecting my life. Not only was it affecting you know, my psyche, you know, my heart, but also it was affecting my daily routine. And yeah. so ultimately I decided if I can just forgive people, my life will be so much more easier. And the only difficult thing that, that I would need to do is to fight my ego. But I mean, that's part of life. Absolutely. Um, and I think you mentioned, you know, incredible points that I think are vital um, because, you know, if, if, if you focus on how much someone hurt you and it's, it's really feeding into, again, a sense of like entitlement, I don't deserve to be hurt hmm. and I don't deserve to ever be wronged because, you know, I'm perfect or I'm untouchable um, or I'm not the kind of person that people can mess with or do this to. But it's this hyperfixation on the self that's very part and par parcel of post postmodernism that makes you believe that you're untouchable. So you become so fragile. And the less conflicts and the less friction that I have in my life, I just become like a, like a glass vase that anything that somewhat remotely comes near to it or touches it, it cracks or shatters. Um, yeah. But how can I ever go about life this way? So what you'll find is you're incapable of living life. So the easy way out is suicide or you know, the easy way out is just not dealing with people or, you know, just completely disconnecting from life and not being able to live and fulfill your duties and obligations and, and your dreams and aspirations and things like that, that are awaiting you. Mm -hmm. Right. Because as this quote says, and it's really beautiful, you are always in between two blessings. Mm. You can't ever say that you didn't experience blessings in the past 
And we can't ever say that there are no more blessings coming, coming our way. And so if you're experiencing difficulty right now, just know that you're just in between two blessings. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and there, go yeah. ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. That, that there's just more goodness coming your way and to have that type of outlook, right? But also knowing that perhaps when I'm wronged or something happens to me, maybe it's a purification for me in this life. Maybe it's a means of elevation for me in the akhirah right? In, in, in the afterlife. And is that a bad thing if you look at it from the spiritual lens? What is actually happening? Now it's looking with your inner eye and not just what you see on the surface. And I think this is what, you know, our faith does is it allows you to see beyond things. You transcend and see beyond what's actually happening um, or what appears to be happening into what's actually happening here. Mm-hmm. So on the surface, it looks any anybody watching say wow are you gonna let him talk to you like that or i can't believe he did that to you and then Mm -hmm. they're like they become the fueler and not the soother because i think people Mm -hmm. fall into two different categories there's a fueler's when you tell them a situation that happened they either fuel you and rile you up to a point where you're ready to cut off that person exactly or or they're a soother you know and they remind you of forgiveness and remind you of allah and remind you of so many other um, you know, attributes and, and characteristics that you want to embody in that moment with that person. And so it's, I'm not above getting hurt. And I'm not above being, you know, wronged. And I'm I'm just a human being. And if a situation like Hadithat and Ifka could happen to Sayyida Aisha, who is the mother of the believers, and if the incident of Ta'if could happen to our beloved, then who are we? to claim that we are untouchable and that how could someone wrong us or say this about us or do this. But I think what keeps you grounded is having an awareness of your own self mm-hmm. so that you're unharmed by what is said about you or what is done to you. It's not a reflection of you, right? People interact with you or view you the way that they, the way that their internal world is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the eyes are like a projector screen and what you see outside in the world is just a reflection of what's inside of you. If what's inside of me is diseased and unwell, I'm going to have a lot of suspicions, doubts, and I'm going to be very cynical about things and people. And that's something each person has to be honest with themselves about. How do I generally Mm -hmm. perceive people? How do I feel about others, right? Or how do I feel about things? Is it all Mm -hmm. gloom and doom or is it, no, there's a silver lining here, but I just have to be looking for it. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're looking uh, for it. You know, know, I I think an excellent question everyone, including ourselves, should ask is how many people have you cut off in your life? Um, Yes. And I I think most of the time people will answer that by saying, well, they deserved it. Um, and for me, for me, it's, again, I don't like using this word toxicity, but, you know, toxicity, you know, if, if you're, if, you know, the Hadith says, right, that the believer mirrors the believer. And if your friends, if everyone in your friend circle is quote unquote, cutting people off, um, is toxic. Well, chances are that you are as well. Um, and 
you know, I think, you know, there, there's this quote, one of my favorite quotes I think I've ever read, because um, we always talk about this idea of knowing oneself, of introspection. Mm-hmm. The mathematician Pascal said, all of the problems in the world that exist are because of man's inability to sit alone by himself in his room quietly with his thoughts. And I think, I think that's really something. And I, you know, I, I honestly believe that COVID would change that. Because yes. people would be locked in their house, literally. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't think I think it, it it I think it either produced one extreme or the other. Yeah. Either people accomplished that goal and they sat down and really thought about their own lives, thought about themselves at a deep level, or people took the other extreme where they just the anxiety just came in. They couldn't handle the lockdown. And now it'll be interesting to see when whether it's two years, three years, when things finally open up. And people are back into society, how they will be after going through that transformative experience. Absolutely. And I think I read a statistic recently that um, mentioned that due to the pandemic and to the lockdown, um, the rates of uh, drinking related accidents, um, you know, and addictions and the purchase of alcohol in and of itself, you know, skyrocketed. And so I think you know, more than ever, this is probably the time in which addictions are at the peak, right? Um, And so it's because people, rather than facing themselves and sitting with their own thoughts and learning how to befriend themselves, um, because myself is all that I really have, right? Especially as we transition from this world, right? And and are held accountable by by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is that you know, that requires a certain level of, of being truthful with myself. And, you know, some people's pasts haunt them, things that they haven't reconciled and made peace with, aspects of themselves that they haven't yet come to accept. So what is, what's easier to do is to escape from myself, especially if, I, if I've experienced um, significant trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, what, ha- what trauma does, it has a scattering effect. And so you actually become disconnected from self. And so a big part of the therapy focuses on reconnecting you back to yourself and that is a process Mm -hmm. right that you can't just do on your own Mm -hmm. and so if you're disconnected from self or or how what we refer to as disassociation right you're completely disassociated from self is that you know i can't really be fully in the present right stillness and quietude make me very uncomfortable and agitated and so i constantly have to be doing something Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, now, if you yes. pay attention, if you pay attention to, um, you know, to the parents' generation, you'll often see many of, of uh, many parents who say this: like, I, I can't, I can't just sit and do nothing. Mm-hmm. I have to be productive. I have to be doing something. I have to be using my hands. I have to be serving, right? And that's a beautiful thing. But why is that the case? That you just can't sit with yourself hmm. you know sister Hiba, there's a there's a story i've mentioned it several times on the podcast but um mm-hmm. i've had people come to me and tell me that i'm so terrified to be with alone with my thoughts so i always have to be speaking to somebody or listening to music so when i'm yeah. in my car the music has to be playing when i'm doing homework i have to be listening to music when i'm sleeping i have to be listening to music because i'm so terrified of that 
slight moment where I'm just alone, just thinking. And to me, that's a, that's a terrifying, that's a terrifying image. Um, and that's, you know, I could only imagine um, how scary um, and how anxious a person must be who's in that state. Yeah, exactly. And so you look for means to pacify yourself. So whether it be through music or I have to be surrounded by other people, um, I can't be on my own. So I constantly have to have friends over, you know, forget the COVID risk, you know, um, I'd rather get COVID than just be on my own. And you'll hear people say that, right? Um, so what are addictions as well? They're a form of self-soothing. Hmm. And so even though there are long-term consequences to addictions that are known, negative consequences, very harmful consequences, people are willing to still go back to that same thing that they're addicted to, despite knowing that, for the short-term pleasure bursts that they get from them. That's, that makes it worth it. For them because it pacifies them it gives them that burst of pleasure um you know and and it's it very much fits the monoculture too right look at the diet it's hmm. you know highly palatable right it's not if you think about fruits and vegetables that's kind of bland it's kind of boring it's not very exciting um so you'd rather eat junk food mm-hmm. right Um, something that, you know, has that burst in your mouth kind of feel. And so this is very much a reflection of our our society today, right? And Mm -hmm. and so assessing kind of the means by which you pacify yourself, what do you do to self-soothe? Some things are are adaptive and some things are very maladaptive and you would have to be able to differentiate between the two um, and then be able to shed the things that are maladaptive because they're harming you in the long term. So again, having this, also having an akhira lens and not just a dunya lens of the here yeah. and now, you know, because this is where I reside. So this is all that I can see and this is all that I'm focused on. Exactly. But I have to be able to see beyond what is what comes after because we're not here to stay. <laughs> Am I preparing for after? You know, and it's interesting when people talk about having a long-term vision, they're always talking about something 20, 30 years down the line, but it's never thinking about the next world as if that's your long-term vision. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a question of, you know, there's the question of, do you actually believe in the afterlife? Because mm -hmm. if you actually believed that it was haq, that it was something that was going to happen, wouldn't you be preparing for it? Mm-hmm. And that I think that's a question every single one of us has to ask ourselves um, mm-hmm. and then being honest with ourselves in that way. Exactly. Um, just just wrapping up, Sister Hiba, um, we've talked about, you know, the, the influence that postmodernism has had on our society, you know, the rise in chaos, confusion, unpredictability, how that's affected our family, um, how that's affected people's levels of anxiety, um, so we have all of these, you know, these mental health problems, which are on the mm-hmm. rise with postmodernism. Um, just on a closing note, um, what advice would you give to people who are trying to heal, um, who have been through a lot? I mean, you once said to me that everybody has trauma. Um, and if people don't, I'm paraphrasing, so don't, I'm yeah. paraphrasing, uh, that everybody, you're giving me the look that like, uh, I don't Everyone know. has pain. Everyone has experienced, 
Yeah. And not every pain is a trauma. Not every discomfort is a trauma, right? But statistics do say that everyone will will experience at least one traumatic incident in their life, if not more. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I was trying to say. But with, with all, with all that's going on, um, what advice would you give to people who are just trying to heal? Uh, the last two years have been extremely difficult uh, on all of us. Um, and now what advice would you give to somebody who's trying to move on, who's really trying to come to terms with their past and, um, you know, prepare for their akhirah? You know, I would say my my final piece of advice um, in closing would really be, especially for the college you know, age group, do not be passive receivers of truth. And what I mean by that is be active seekers of truth, right? And, and what that means is immerse yourself in seeking Aiden. Do not, you know, because, because if you don't immerse yourself in seeking Aiden, if you don't occupy your soul in, in beneficial ways, your soul will occupy you in very destructive and harmful ways. And the reason why I say Sikhain is because things are not going to become easier, right? They're going to become easier in certain sense, certain, certain ways and harder in certain ways. And I think we should just have the realistic expectation that, you know, life is still going to be difficult and, and we're still going to experience hardships. And, you know, if, if the past two years haven't been a testament to that. And so you have, you know, reservoir of resilience inside of you. And one way to activate that is seeking in. Because the more you know your faith, the less likely you are to allow theories and philosophies and ideas that feel good, right? Being able to discern that they're not actually good for me, for my akhirah or for my dunya, right? They have elements that are good, again, and, and it depends on what it is, right? We can't ever speak um, generally, uh, about everything in that way, in an absolute manner. But I have to be able to ask myself the question, you know, is this actually good for me? And will it be good for my, you know, dunya and akhirah? And the only way that you can empower yourself and heal is by gaining knowledge. And whether, and that's diversifying your supports as well. So having a spiritual teacher, speaking with mental health professionals who are psycho-spiritually oriented, right, is very important, especially when it comes to your vulnerabilities and your thoughts and your feelings. You want to make sure that the person you're speaking to is aligned, is on the mm -hmm. same page as you, who's not mm -hmm. going to take you in a whole other direction, right, mm -hmm. and make you question your faith and make you question your family. And, um, and again, some situations, you know, that's necessary. But a lot of times, it's, it, these are things that you can overcome. And one way to do that is to empower yourself with knowledge. I really think that is one thing that you can never really get enough of. Mm. And it's very um, enthralling. Mm. It really is. And it just sort of embraces you in that cloak of, of light from Allah mm. subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that can have a lot of protective factors to it as well. Mm. And uh, Sister Hiba, there's, there's one, one last question. It's a burning question on my mind that uh, I really want to ask. Um, and you can, I, I'm sure you can do a whole lecture on this, but just in a couple mm -hmm. minutes, um, one of the big problems in our generation is they see counseling from their peers, 
um, people who are their age, people who are unexperienced. What is the importance of a person having a counselor, of a, of a person going into, you know, speaking to somebody who is qualified, like you mentioned, from a cycle, but also a spiritual perspective. So when hardship does come to them, that the person that they're speaking to, they feel like one, that they can relate to, two, they feel like they can share everything, and three, that they know they share similar values. I really believe from I really believe that from all of my experience with myself, with all of my peers, one of the core problems we have is we seek consultation from our friends on these big topics. And our friends are always the ones telling us to cut people off, to remove these people from our life. Yeah. So mm -hmm. do you mind just briefly speaking upon that? Yeah. Um, you know, having a counselor for, for like for example at the Khalil Center, the concept of a Khalil is a close companion, someone who is older than you, someone who is hopefully has uh, attained more wisdom, more hikmah through their life experiences, through their trainings, and they also have the Western uh, and the Islamic training. Um, in order to be able to, you know, when you sit in their company, you're able to see yourself. Mm. Because you don't, as the counselor, you don't bring yourself into the therapeutic alliance. It's really about the client and you don't tell the client what to do, right? Or how to live their life. That's not your place. But they come to you and they have these ideas and they have these feelings and they have these thoughts and they don't know how to make peace with them and they don't know what they mean. And sometimes it's very dark and disturbing. Everybody has disturbing thoughts at times. And you don't know how to, you know, deconstruct them, make sense of them and put them back together again in a healthy way. And so speaking to someone who studied the human psyche uh, extensively and who also knows the ploys of the nefs from a spiritual sense can really help guide you so that you can make more sound decisions and that it's not about just gratifying my ego. Mm. And then I think often hearing what your peers have to say um, while being able to remain grounded and not feeding into every advice that's given to you, I think that's that that can be a good thing. Um, but also consulting with someone who's older, who's trained, who has that psycho-spiritual understanding is crucial, right? Because every single human being has many blind spots. Mm -hmm. And I think every single human being is prone to delusion. So you're not going to see yourself accurately and we know that when Allah loves someone, he shows them their deficiencies. So that you have an opportunity to rectify and refine and fortify. So that when you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're in a much better state. You're the best version of yourself that you can be. And I think that requires courage. And I think that requires maturity. And not everybody's at that place in their lives where they have those core ingredients to be able to go forth with, you know, that process because it's not exactly for the faint of heart at times, but having a compassionate presence that is rooted in the faith and that has that understanding of the human psyche is very beneficial. Um, and I think it can be very powerful in helping you make you know, good decisions in your life while also consulting your spiritual teachers. And I think you need a combination uh, a lot of the times, depending on what it is that you're confronting Mm -hmm. that can be a very powerful um, care team for you, in a sense. Mm -hmm. 
And you know, thank you so much for that, Sister Hiba. I think that's an excellent point to wrap up on is that um, everybody would benefit from having a counselor because everybody goes through difficult moments in their life. They go through yeah. moments where there's uncertainty, where they're stuck in a dilemma between two things and being able to speak, speak to somebody about it who's not necessarily who's not really affiliated you know because if, if there's somebody who's related who uh yeah. you know there could be some tensions there could be some biases but somebody who's not who's objective um it can really bring calm sakin into one's heart um and know yeah. that you know a person is not crazy because sometimes we can kind of you know with these thoughts, right definitely we, yeah we think exactly. we're crazy so um i think i i think that's an excellent point to wrap up on um, if, if anybody is interested in Instagram gems about mental health, about spirituality, I'd highly recommend follow Sister Hiba on Instagram. There are Instagram. many good people. <laughs> there are many good people on Instagram to follow. Um, mashallah. May Allah grant um, us confidence and, and use us in his service always, inshallah. I mean, I mean, thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you, Sister Hiba, for spending time with us. So and inshallah, we will. Thank you. You're, you're always welcome on this platform. Thank um, you. For everybody else, thank you. Uh, if you have any comments, please share them below. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.